Chapter 20 of Murder in the Gunroom. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Murder in the Gunroom by H. Beam Piper. Chapter 20. The dining room was empty when Rand came down to breakfast the next morning. Taking the seat he had occupied the evening before, he waited until Ritter came out of the kitchen through the pantry. Good morning, Colonel Rand. The perfect butler greeted him unctuously. If I may say so, sir, you're a bit of an early riser. None of the family is up yet, sir. Rand jerked a thumb toward the kitchen. Who's out there? he hissed. Just the cook, frying sausage and flipping pancakes. Premixed pancakes, of course. The maid sleeps out. She hasn't gotten here yet. How'd it go last night? You put a dummy under the covers and slept on the floor? No, last night I was safe. The blow-off isn't due till this morning, when the women are at church. And he'll have to catch me and the fall guy together. What do you want me to do? Ritter asked, giving an unbutler-like hitch at his shoulder holster. I can stand on my official dignity and get out of any clean-up work till after dinner, and I won't have any butling to do till the women get home from church. Case Varsick and Dunmore, when they come in. See if either of them is rod-heavy. Find anything last night? Ritter shook his head. I searched Varsic's lab after everybody was in bed, and I searched the cars in the garage, and a lot of other places. I didn't find them. Whoever he is, the chances are he has them in his room. Did you look back of the books in the library? Rand asked. When Ritter shook his head, he continued. That's probably where they are. Not that it makes a whole lot of difference. If I'd found them... It'd have given me something to watch. Then I'd know when this fun was going to start. Ritter broke off suddenly. Yes, sir. Will you have your coffee now or later, sir? Gladys entered, wearing the blue-tailored outfit she had worn to Rand's office on Wednesday. At ease, at ease, she laughed, dropping into her chair. Anything new? Rand shook his head. We'll have to wait. I'm expecting some action this morning. I hope it'll be over before you're home from church. She looked at him seriously. Jeff, you're using yourself as murder bait, she said, aren't you? More or less. He knows I'm on to him. He's pretty sure I haven't any real proof yet, but he doesn't know how soon I will have. He realizes that I'm cat-and-mousing him the way I did Walters, so he'll try to kill me before I pounce, and when he does he'll convict himself. What he doesn't realize is that as long as he sits tight, he's perfectly safe. Neither of them mentioned the obvious corollary, that conviction and execution would be almost simultaneous. It must have been uppermost in Gladys's mind. She leaned over and put her hand on Rand's arm. "'Jeff, would it help any if I stayed home instead of going to church?' she asked. "'I'm a pretty fair pistol shot. Lane taught me.' I can stay over ninety at slow fire, and in the eighties at timed and rapid. If I hit somewhere with a target pistol... Absolutely not, Rand vetoed emphatically. I'm not saying that because I'm afraid you might stop a slug yourself. You're a big girl now. You can take your own chances. But if you stayed home, he wouldn't make a move. You and Geraldine and Nelda have to be out of the house before he'll feel safe coming out of the grass. Watch it, Ritter warned. Yes, ma'am, at once, ma'am. Nelda came in and sat down. 
Ritter held her chair and fussed over her, finding out what she wanted to eat. He was bringing in her fruit when Varsic and Geraldine entered. Nelda was inquiring if Rand wanted to come to church with him. No, I'm one of the boys the chaplain couldn't find in the foxholes, Rand said. I'm going to put in a quiet morning on the collection, if nobody gets murdered or arrested in the meantime, that is. Geraldine looked woebegone. Her hands were trembling. My God, do I have a hangover, she moaned. Walters, for heaven's sake, fix me up something quick. Then she saw Ritter. Who the devil are you? she demanded. Where's Walters? Out on bail, Rand told her. Don't you remember? Oh, you did this to me, she accused. Walters could always fix me up in the morning. Now what am I going to do? You might stop drinking, her husband suggested mildly. Oh, just stop breathing. That would be better all around, Nelda interposed. Ritter coughed delicately. Begging your pardon, ma'am, but I've always rather fancied myself for an expert on morning after tonics. If you'll wait a moment. He departed on his errand of mercy, returning shortly with a highball glass filled with some dark, evil-looking potion. He set it on the table in front of the sufferer and poured her a cup of coffee. Now, ma'am, just try this. Take it gradually, if I may suggest. Don't attempt to gulp it. It's quite strong, ma'am. Geraldine tasted it and pulled a gorgon face. Encouraged by Ritter, she managed to down about half of the mixture. "'Splendid, ma'am, splendid,' he cheered her on. "'Now drink your coffee, ma'am, and then finish it. That's right, ma'am. And now more coffee.' Geraldine struggled through with the black draft and drank the second cup of coffee. As she set down the empty cup, she even managed to smile. "'Why, that's wonderful,' she lit a cigarette. What is it? I feel as though I might live, after all. A recipe of my own, a variant on the old prairie oyster, but without the raw egg, which I consider a needless embellishment, ma'am. I learned it in the household of a former employer, a New York stockbroker. Poor man, he did himself in in the autumn of 1929. Well, it's too bad you won't be with us permanently, Davies, Nelda said. Your recipe seems to be just what Geraldine needs. With a dash of prussic acid added, of course. That got the bush fighting off to a good start. When Dunmore came in a few minutes later, the two sisters were stalking one another through the jungle, blow-gunning poison darts back and forth. The newcomer sat down without a word. Throughout the meal, he and Varsic treated one another with silent and hostile suspicion. Finally, Gladys looked at her watch and called a truce to the skirmishing by announcing that it was time to start for church. Rand left the room with the ladies. In the hall, Gladys brushed against him quickly and gripped his left arm. "'Do be careful, Jeff,' she whispered. "'Don't worry, I will,' Rand assured her. Then he turned into the library and went up the spiral to the gunroom while the three women went down to the garage." He was standing at the window as the big Packard moved out onto the drive. Nelda was at the wheel, and Gladys, beside her on the front seat, raised a white-gloved hand in the thumbs-up salute. Rand gave it back and watched the car swing around the house. Then he mopped his face with a wad of Kleenex and went over to the room-temperature thermostat, turning it down to sixty. Sitting down at the desk, he dialed Humphrey Goode's number on the private outside line. A maid answered. 
A moment later, he was talking to the Fleming lawyer. Rand here, he identified himself. Mr. Good, I've been thinking over our conversation of last evening. There's a great deal to be said for the position you're taking in the matter. As you've reminded me, I'm a small, if purely speculative, stockholder in Premix myself, and even if I weren't, I should hate to be responsible for undeserved losses by innocent investors. Yes? Good's voice fairly shook. Then you're going to drop the investigation? No, Mr. Good, I can't do that. But I believe a formula could be evolved which would keep the Premix Company and its affairs out of it. In fact, I think that the whole question of the death of Lane Fleming might possibly be kept in the background. Would that satisfy you? It would require some very careful manipulation on my part, and your cooperation. But, see here, if you're investigating the death of Mr. Fleming, how can that be kept in the background? Good wanted to know. The murderer of Lane Fleming is also guilty of the murder of Arnold Rivers, Rand stated. I know that positively now. Murder is punished capitally, and one of the peculiarities of capital punishment is that it can be inflicted only once, on no matter how many counts. If our man goes to the chair for the death of Rivers, the death of Fleming might even remain an accident. I can hardly guarantee that. I have my agency license to think of, among other things. But I feel reasonably safe in saying that I could keep the premix company from figuring in the case. Would that satisfy you? It most certainly would, Colonel Rand. Good's voice shook even more. Are you sure? I'm not sure of anything. It'll cost the Premix Company some money to get this done. I'll have certain expenses, for one thing, which could not very gracefully be itemized. And I will have to have your cooperation. Now I want you to remain at home where I can reach you at any moment, for the rest of the day. I'll call you later. He listened to Good babble his gratitude for a while, then terminated the call and hung up. Then he transferred the Colt thirty-eight to the side pocket of his coat, picked up one of the sheets on which he had been listing the collection, and sat for almost fifteen minutes pretending to study it, keeping his eyes shifting from the hall door to the spiral stairway and back again. Finally the hall door opened and Anton Varsic came in. Rand half rose, covering the check from his side pocket. Varsic came over and sat down in an armchair near the desk. He was looking more than ever like Rudolf Hess. Rudolf Hess on the morning of the beer hall putsch. Colonel Rand, he began, there has, within the last half hour, been a most important development. I'm at a loss to define its significance, but its importance is inescapable. Rand nodded. He had been expecting somebody to give birth to an important development, the steps toward gunfire were progressing in logical series. Well, he smiled encouragingly. What happened? After you and the ladies left the dining room, Varsic said, Fred Dunmore turned to me and apologized for harboring unjust suspicions of me in the matter of Lane Fleming's death. He said that he had been unable to understand who else could have murdered Lane until you had pointed out to him that the house could have been entered from the garage and the gunroom from the library. Then, he said, he had had a conversation with some unnamed gentleman at the party last evening, and had learned that Lane had discovered that Humphrey Good was deceiving him, and had been about to have him dismissed from his position with the company, and to sever his personal connections with him. The devil now, 
Rand gave a good imitation of surprise. What sort of jiggery-pokery was good up to? Fred said that his informant told him that Lane had proof that Good had accepted a bribe from Arnold Rivers to misconduct the suit which Lane was bringing against Rivers about a pair of pistols he had bought from Rivers. It seems that Good was Rivers' attorney also, and had been involved with him in a number of dishonest transactions, although the connection had been kept secret. That's a new angle now, Rand said. I suppose that he killed Rivers in order to prevent the latter from incriminating him. Why didn't Fred come to me with this, he asked. Eh? Evidently, Varsic hadn't thought of that. Why, I suppose he was concerned about the possibility of repercussions in the business world. After all, Good is our board chairman, and maybe he thought that people might begin thinking that the murder had some connection with the affairs of the company. That's possible, of course, Rand agreed. And what's your own attitude? Colonel Rand, I cannot allow these facts to be suppressed, the Czech said. My own position is too vulnerable. You've showed me that. Except for the fact that somebody could have entered the house through the garage, the burden of suspicion would lie on me and Fred Dunmore. Well, do you want me to help with it? Rand asked. Yes, if you will. It would be helping yourself also, I believe. Barsic replied. Fred is downstairs now in the library. I suggest that you and I go down and have a talk with him. Maybe you could show him the folly of trying to suppress any facts concerning Lane's death. Yes, that would be both foolish and dangerous. Rand got to his feet, keeping his hand on the thirty-eight Colt. Let's go down and talk to him now. They walked side by side toward the spiral, Rand keeping on the right and lagging behind a little, lifting the stubby revolver clear of its pocket. Yet, in spite of his vigilance, it happened before he could prevent it. A lance of yellow fire jumped out of the shadows of the stairway, and there was a soft cough of a silenced pistol, almost lost in the click-click of the breech action. Rand felt something sledgehammer him in the chest, almost knocking him down. He staggered, then swung up the colt he had drawn from his pocket and blazed two shots into the stairway. There was a clatter and the sound of feet descending into the library. He rushed forward, revolver poised, and then a shot boomed from below, followed by three more in quick succession. "'Okay, Jeff,' Ritter's voice called out. "'War's over!' He managed somehow to get down the steep spiral. The little twenty-five Webley and Scott was lying on the bottom step. He pushed it aside with his foot and cautioned Varsic, who was following, to avoid it. Ritter, still looking like the perfect butler in spite of the three eighty Beretta in his hand, was standing in the hall doorway. On the floor, midway between the stairway and the door, lay Fred Dunmore. His tan coat and vest were turning dark in several places, and Rand's own detective special was lying a few inches from his left hand. He came in here and shut the door, Ritter reported. I couldn't follow him in, so I took a plant in the hall. When I heard you blasting upstairs, I came in just in time to see him coming down. You winged him in the right shoulder. He dropped the twenty-five, and he had your gat in his left hand. When he saw mine, he threw one at me and missed. I gave him three back for it. See result on floor. Uh-huh. You'd have gotten away if you hadn't been on the job, he told Ritter. Then he picked up his own revolver and holstered it. 
after a glance which assured him that Fred Dunmore was beyond any further action of any sort, he laid the square-butt detective special on the floor beside him. "'You did all right, Dave,' he said. "'Now nobody's going to have a chance to bamboozle a jury into acquitting him.' He thought of his recent conversation with Humphrey Good. "'You did just all right,' he repeated. "'So it was Fred, then,' he heard Varsick behind him say. "'Then he was lying about this evidence against Good.' The check came over and stood beside Rand, looking down at the body of his late brother-in-law. "'But why did he tell me that story, and why did he shoot at us when we were together?' Both for the same general reason. Rand explained about the two pistols and the planned double killing. With both of us dead, you'd be the murderer, and I'd be a martyr to law and order, and he'd be in the clear. Barsick regarded the dead man with more distaste than surprise. Evidently, his experiences in Hitler's Europe had left him with few illusions about the sanctity of human life, or the extent of human perfidy. Ritter holstered the Beretta and got out a cigarette. "'I hope you didn't leave your lighter upstairs,' he told Rand. Rand produced and snapped it, holding the flame out to his assistant. "'Dave,' he lectured, "'the perfect butler always has a lighter in good working order. Lighting up the monster is part of his duties.' Remember that the next time you have a butling job. Ritter leaned forward for the light. Dunmore was a better shot with his right hand than he was with his left, he commented. He didn't come within a yard of me, and he scored a twelve o'clock center on you. Right through the necktie. Rand glanced down, then he burst into a roar of obscene blasphemy. Seven dollars and fifty cents I paid for that tie not three weeks ago, he concluded. Does your grandmother make patchwork quilts? If she does, she can have it. My God! Varsick stared at Rand unbelievingly. Why, he hit you. You're wounded. Only in the necktie, Rand reassured him. I have a hole in my shirt, too. He reached under the latter garment and rummaged, as though to evict a small trespasser. When he brought out his hand, he was holding a battered twenty-five caliber bullet. He held it out to show Varsick and Ritter. Sure, Ritter grinned at Varsick. Didn't you know? Superman. I'm wearing a bulletproof vest. Mick McKenna loaned it to me yesterday, Rand enlightened Varsick. I never wore one of the damn things before, and if I can help it, I'll never wear one again. I'm damn near stewed alive in it. Think how hot you'd be right now if you hadn't been wearing it, Ritter reminded him. "'Then you knew since yesterday that he would do this?' Varsick asked. "'I knew one or the other of you would,' Rand replied. "'I had quite a few reasons for thinking it might be Dunmore, "'and one good one for not suspecting you.' "'You mean my dislike for firearms?' "'That could have been feigned, or it could have been overcome,' Rand replied. "'I mean your knowledge of biology and biochemistry. "'If you'd killed Lane Fleming, there'd have been no clumsy business of fake accidents.' Not as long as both of you ate at the same table. He'd have just died. An unimpeachably natural death. He turned to Ritter. Dave, I'm going upstairs. I want to get out of this damned coat of mail I'm wearing. I want you to call Carter Tipton at the Jared place, and Humphrey Good, and Mick McKenna, in that order. Tell Good to get over here as fast as he can and come up to my room. Tell him we have to consider ways and means of implementing my suggestion to him. 
End of chapter 20